This morning I was working through the message, and uh, I think it was yesterday, Chelsea and I listened to Caleb's message and, and realized so many important points that he touched on as, we, as we've been talking about walking in the Spirit. And just in listening, not just to the message, but to his presentation and the way he did it, it made me appreciate how some people have a gift to just make a presentation that will actually work for you. Um, I find in myself that I don't often have that gift. <laughs> I, I might make things a little complicated, but I also realize as I pray and I ask God that a lot of times the reason they're complicated is because I'm challenging your belief system. Because one of the things that I know by observing through church history, if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll keep getting what we've always gotten. And if you want to look around you at the, at the U.S. church right now and say that's God's intention for his church, it's okay if you want to do that, but that can't be backed up scripturally. So it tells me that we have to make some adjustments, that, that it's very important that we make some adjustments. And I, I want to be a part of making those adjustments. And the reason I said all that was to remind you that if you find it complicated, it's probably because you have a belief system that has been challenged. And a lot of times, boy, this is getting on ground. I might need a rescue here. But a lot of times that belief system has been established by religious spirits rather than the Spirit of Christ. And those things keep us from moving on. The, Paul talks about it. He said, he, Paul's a little more straightforward than me, so I'm telling you, I'm, I'm quoting Paul now. This is, this is, this is Paul. The doctrines of demons is what he called it. And how, if we're not careful, we engage in that, and it completely diverts us from what God is doing. So this morning, I'm going to do a little bit of challenging as, as we move along. And remind you that all of us are a product of the time when our forefathers had the uh, spiritual strength to stand against what had been commonly taught and stand for a greater truth. And there is, there is in, in religious doctrine, there's often a truth that is sustainable enough to probably make us okay in eternity. But it don't change our immediate world. It doesn't touch our immediate culture except to build a wall away from it. And the only way to, to get there, to get where God intends for us to be, is we have to embrace the idea that God never intended for us to, to build this little, little doctrinal stand and to stay there until He comes. What He wants us to understand is He has come. He is God with us. He is full of grace and truth. And he's leading us on and on and on until we get to a place where we have the light shining in us so much that it's reflecting the kingdom and the power of God. So as we move along in this, um, you, I want you to just take you back in your thinking, I guess, because the, John and his writing, the, the disciple, the apostle John, probably has impacted me more than anyone else. Because out of his extreme hardship, he began to think 
and to react on a level that allowed God to bring the revelation of Jesus Christ to him. And I'm one that always likes to remind people, don't think that that's the revelation of end times. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what they chose to say that it was. And that being the case, then, then I, I think that I need to embrace it like that. But John's writing could not have come from any existing theological thinking. It had to come fresh from the heart of God. And if you if you'll compare what would have been existing thought and John's writing, you'll find that there is a great disparity because John was getting a direct download from the Holy Spirit of what the church needed for his time. And I think we need to live like that. Those of us who work with it, those of us who study, uh, we, we need to realize that, that when John began to write his gospel, which, which was written quite a, quite a little while after the revelation, but when he began to write his gospel, he, he chose to start, in the beginning was the Word. And we immediately think of this when we think of that. But this didn't exist at that moment. In the beginning was the full expression of God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the way He chose to begin. begin. And if you go back into the written Word and, and begin to think of it that way, I want to challenge you as you read the Bible, don't think of this as something I have to memorize and quote so I can put some kind of a hammerlock spiritually on God and get Him to do something. Get into the written and recorded Word of God and allow that to begin to speak to you. And not only that, but you realize that it is a basis upon which you ask questions of God. That just the reading of, of the Word, and I, I'm not one that would ever say you shouldn't do that because, man, I spend hours and hours in this. But don't allow the comfortable feeling of your preconceived conclusions to make an end of your searching in God. Many of us, we just think in and around the things that we've established and memorized. But if you do that, there's no fresh expectation in you. And it causes you to feel like you're an unimportant member of the body of Christ. That nothing is that important because I'm comfortable in what I learned in Sunday school when I was a kid. The memory verses, the stories and all that. I'm comfortable in that. And I can tell you, when you begin to get in the Word of God and to ask questions to the Word and expect Him to answer, it'll be an uncomfortable comfortable day for you because he will begin to kick down all the walls that we've built around and begin to show us what is reality but you, we need to learn to intentionally ask questions of the word of God now, a lot of times it seems that we've been taught that we can't do that that that's somehow uh, less than less than spiritual or some, somehow beyond. And if you'll go back to where that thinking came from, it's a place you don't want to go and a part of a group you don't want to be a part of. What you want to be a part of is the group that knows that the Spirit of God talks to you every day and He's there available for you to ask Him questions and to receive answers. Often, our theology is more fascinated with the fall of man than the redemption of man. 
And that, folks, that's what the New Testament is all about, is the redemption of man. The redemption, you, you've got to go back into the old English and look at the word deem. And deem is to, is to be considered worthy, to be considered officially worthy of something. And so to be redeemed is that we now are considered again to be worthy to walk with God and to hear God and to ask questions of God. We're redeemed. We're not, my study should not be of the fall of man. My study should be of the redemption of mankind. And that, that from that shall flow rivers of living water. From that will flow things. And, and we begin to be aware of his, of his covenant and of his presence. Now, I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And as I've, as I've studied this in the last few days and this morning, last night, I realize I'm probably going to have to break it up. And I'm just asking the God, I'm asking God to show me where to break it up. So uh, just hang with me for a while this morning. Genesis 3, 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, First, just let me qualify everything I'm getting ready to, to say by this. I can't tell you why this was translated like this. As I've gone back and done the research, and I've, I've asked men that, that were far more studied than me to, to read along with me on this and help me with it, I, I can tell you that nobody that goes back and starts to ask questions of this passage of Scripture can tell you how it got to this translation from the original. And I want to work with that in your mind for a little bit, but always remember when you're working with, with translations that we have now that up until just recent years, most of the scholarship was Catholic and Anglican. When you realize that, it begins to make a shift in your thinking because within the whole, back in those years, there was a rejection of the Holy Spirit empowering normal people. So all of the translation came out of that mindset. And I'm not questioning the Bible. I'm just saying we need to go back to with the tools we have available and see what might have been heard when it was first written and when it was first read. How did they hear? What did they hear? And out of that, then we can begin to do some things. Now, in the cool of the day is the first thing I want to look at. In the cool of the day. The word that is translated the day, the most it's the most basic measure of time, and often it was used to designate the daylight hours. Not always, but often. In the thinking of the old Hebrew scholars, they thought that when, when the Bible says that in, in the from evening to morning, it was the first day that the Bible was talking about, that from evening, from dark until dawn, that, that's God's time of working while we rest, preparing the day ahead of us. But what I want you to get out of that in the cool of the day is when the, right, when the translators looked at that, they missed some things because it wasn't specifically saying it was a day. They were specifically saying there was a passage of time. That it was an increment of time. And that word cool is a feminine noun in, in indicating nurturing and care. And it most often refers to the blowing of the wind, the moving of the spirit, and often the breath of God. In that passage of time, in the garden, 
In that time before men had made, made the, the, the decision and, and actually removed themselves, in that passage of time, we see what God's original intent for mankind was. In that passage of time, there would be a moving and a flowing of the Spirit of God that man was not only welcome into, but he was born into. Now, think of how that, think of what that, what a difference that makes instead of now saying that there is this increment of time in the evening when, when it starts to cool off and the wind starts to blow. Instead of that, we realize that the Bible is saying in this time, well, when God first created man, when, when he breathed on that that pile of dirt and that dirt responded. I'm telling you that God is still breathing and dirt is still responding. We need to understand that, that the flesh, that the whole creation still responds when the breath of God is acknowledged. And that was the beginning of the way God wanted to do these things. That that was the beginning. The beginning of the way it happened. So you find this word in the cool that's been translated cool here. You'll find it describing the spirit moving through the prophets as they uttered his word. You'll find it used to show his spirit present among his people as they returned from exile. You'll find it shows impartation of skills and ability. You'll find it used when they're enabling someone is being enabled to teach and someone being able to understand. And we don't translate all that cool. I mean, it's pretty cool, but, but it's not like in the cool of the day. It's in that time, this time, this time of creation when the wind of God is blowing, when the breath of God is moving, in this time when we once again made alive to the Spirit. In this time, men can walk with God, men can hear God, men can know God in a way that, that has never been made available to them before. So what was broken in the fall of man? I hate to tell you this, but the first three chapters, you don't see a lot of mention of sin. Matter of fact, I think the time sin is mentioned in the first three chapters of the Bible is that many times. Zero. It's talking about a breaking of something. It's a breaking of man's knowledge of the moving of God, of the presence of God. It's making a man think that somehow he's got to meet this list of things before God will bow himself to be beside a man. It's thinking, it's thinking that somehow we have to earn something. And I, I just read this morning a young man that I know very well, and none of you know him, so I can feel free to say this, but he made a list. This is what we have to do to receive a miracle. And I read the list, and it was work, 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 work. And you know what? No, we, the Spirit, part of, part of the, the manifestation of the Spirit through us is the working of miracles. Think, how many miracles have you received by making a list of what you must do and getting it all done and going to, say, going to God and saying, God, this is what we've done. Now, why isn't there a miracle? Never received one like that. Man, I've seen them work when I began to realize that God was speaking and that God was flowing and I began to release into someone else's life what God was doing and seeing the miracle begin to happen. And even in my own life, as God began to show me what I need to do that's different from what I'm doing, not a list of, of rules but saying, you know, if you'll just do this, it'll change your life and begin to see a miracle working in my own natural life because I'm listening to the breath of God, listening to the wind of God as it flows through me. Folks, I'm telling you, in the Christian world, I mentioned this last Sunday, there needs to be a new reformation. A a time when we once again go back to what God originally intended and adjust everything to that. 
rather than starting in the middle of church history and trying to just adjust everything to what someone said that didn't know the Spirit of God, that actually denied the Spirit of God, and try, instead of trying to adjust to that, go all the way back to what they first heard, and that is in this period of time that the wind was God, of God was blowing among men and teaching them to walk in a way that brought life and light. And if we'll go back just to that, and begin from there, we'll begin to touch our world. Why? Because it brings in excitement. And I'll talk more about that either today or later as we go on. Because I want you to get this. What was broken in the lives of Adam and Eve was that not that God wasn't still moving. He was. But what was broken was their response to that move. Instead, they began to think, what must we do? Instead of how must we walk with God, they began to think, what must we do? And from then on, that, came, that became the, the basis on which the law of God was, was put forth. The law of God was never put forth by God's choice. It was put forth because man refused to go into his presence and hear him. It makes a difference. Now, I'm going to read seven verses out of 1 John chapter 1. <clears throat> what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we've seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, how many of you know that here John was calling the church's attention back to Jesus. And we've seen this. Not only seen it, but we heard it. We handled it. We've seen what moving with the Father and moving with the Spirit can do on a natural man. We have saw that. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that your joy may be made complete. And this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I want to begin to pull this together. I'm, give me a minute here. I think I've got my pages all mixed up. Nah, I'm just confused. No. <laughs> Don't worry, that's a normal state of mind for me. First of all, notice that John sees the Word as something other than the Bible. I want to recall that to you. And you also keep in mind that John saw himself, Leslie preached a great message around this truth a while back, but he saw himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now let me tell you something about why that's so important. A lot of times, and I've been as guilty as anybody else, you look at yourself and think, well, God has to work overtime to love me. Now I, I understand why God loved David, why God loved Si, but man, I'm another deal. But somehow, through the course of life and the suffering, John began to understand that he was the disciple Jesus loved. He wasn't saying the others weren't. He just knew that about himself. And it's very important that you accept that. That you quit thinking, I'm such a difficult case for God. Because as Caleb mentioned, I think it was Caleb mentioned a couple of weeks ago, 
Your past is gone. Only you can resurrect it because God won't. And I, I tried and tried and tried to embrace that. If you haven't given your life over to God and you keep thinking, boy, I've done all this stuff, I can tell you the moment you respond to him, your past is gone. And only you can go back there and dig it up. Now, I know other people try, but you don't have to embrace that. So, if you begin to understand, you'll save yourself a lot of disappointment and heartache if you begin to realize that you are the one that's come under the discipline of Christ. And my goodness, he loves you. He loves you. You say, well, you don't know what I've done yesterday. Is yesterday present or future? It's gone. It's gone. What are you doing now? That's what's important. So I want to settle these issues. I, I read of life and light, and I want to settle those issues of life and light, darkness and death this morning. What is life? What is life? What is light? And we use those words, we throw them around, and I, over the past some years, I have asked people when I hear them saying, what is that? They say, well, I walk in the light of God. What is that? I've never yet had anybody give me a very good answer. Well, uh, 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 it's the newness of life. What is that? And you keep, you keep working with it, though. And in John chapter 1, verse 4, it said, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So life, God's life working through us, is the light that shines in the darkness. The light that shines in the darkness is God's life working in us. It's that supernatural thing that comes when we're born again that if we will allow it, the life of God begins to flow forth from us. And that's why I say I'm not much concerned what the devil's going to do. Because if he stays around me very long, he's going to be very uncomfortable and move on. Because my light will shine in his darkness. And my light is the life of God, and he can't handle that. The Bible, or John put it this way, that darkness can't even comprehend that light and life that shines through us. So when we think about life and light being, being what God has said about us, now, if life and light come from God, then what's darkness? It comes from the power of the enemy suggesting things into our life. Uh, hang on a minute. It's not just an express devil, but sometimes that's expressed through people around us that don't know God. Darkness began. And here's, here's the problem. Are we going to embrace the fact that we're the disciple Jesus loved and we have the light of God dwelling in us? Or are we going to start to embrace the suggestion that mm, maybe I really didn't hear God? Isn't that the original thing? Isn't that what the enemy used to distract Adam and Eve? Has God really said? Darkness began to invade. Darkness began, began to come in. And as, as, we, as we look at that, we realize that the real context that we're working in is the darkness cannot overpower light unless we start to embrace the darkness. And we start to let those shadows drift in. And, and the, the shadows, you know, your, your life won't immediately be dark. 
But a shadow of suggestion begins to come in and suggest that you might be, you know, let's, let's not concentrate so much on being the disciple Jesus loved. Let's not concentrate on, on the life and the light of God that now lives in you. There's a shadow over here. Now let me, let me talk to you just briefly about shadows. You come out here on a very hot day and, and the shadows of those trees over there, we call it shade, but you know, those shadows feel pretty good, but it's really not the tree. It's just a shadow. And the enemy only has a suggestion of lies to deal with, to throw into you. The suggestion that you're still that person you used to be. The suggestion, and it often looks like this, is, well, my family are people that speak their mind. And now you've got an opportunity. You can either embrace the light of God that says we build people and we hear God and we speak that into their lives, or you can pull in that shadow and start to rip people apart and hurt them and be, become a part of the problem. Now here's what John said. He said, if you walk in the light, you have fellowship with the Father because that's where He is. But if you walk in darkness, if you embrace the shadows and, and begin to pull that darkness, then you're living a lie and you're not doing the truth. Because the truth is, the Father has said, you're the one I love. You're the one that I'm reaching to. You're the one that I'm pulling myself to. And our, uh, the problem, is, this is what I really love about those seven verses, is it starts out with fellowship with the Father, and it starts to suggest fellowship among really strong believers. And then it shifts. If you have that fellowship with the light, then you can have fellowship with one another. See, I can't believe the truth beyond your shadows unless I'm believing the truth beyond my shadows. If I believe what, that God really loves me, then I might get myself to believe that He loves you. And if I really embrace that God is doing a work in me right where I am and that I don't have to measure up to anybody else's thinking, I, I just really have to embrace what God is doing, if I begin to believe that, then I can alongside you embrace the fact that you're probably not perfect, but I don't need to worry about that because God is driving the shadows away. God is doing something in your life that will take you further and deeper. And here's the thing you've got to understand. When you get off into something that is embracing the shadows and the darkness that try to come on you, you're not leaving God behind. He's still right there just waiting for you to get it. And say, here I am. You know, I really love you. I'm not going to walk in that shadow with you. But come on out here in the light. And the light is that I love you and I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You can come boldly into my presence and there receive mercy. That's what God wants to do. And I'm telling you, church, that's the message that will win our city. Is to help people to realize that you're not, you're not willing to, to go back and stir up their darkness, but you're willing to bring them light right now. And a lot, a lot of times when we see somebody and we think, oh, they've got this in their life, they've got that in their life, if we'll listen closely, the Spirit is say, tell them that I love them. Tell them what I can do for them. Tell them that you were once lost, but now you're found. And, and tell them about the light of God and becoming a disciple that Jesus loved. Draw them into your light. Don't get in and commiserate with them in darkness. Because that's the enemy that's raising up the darkness. It's not the light of God. You know, John was making that statement. This is the message we've heard from him. 
God our Father is in that place where His voice is going forth, in that place. And not just the voice of the prophetic, but the voice of God that's with you every day, wanting to talk to you about life, urging you, make this decision, uh, not forcing you in any way, but here's the results of the decision you're almost ready to make. Make this one instead, and there'll be life in it. There'll be light in it. <coughs> Ask Him about it. Talk to Him about it. I, I've been struck by... Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying who or what, but some uh, local people that Betty knew previously visit her, and they, bring, they try to bring their darkness into her. The thing is, those people don't know Jesus. I can't expect them to do anything different. So I'm not going to get into the darkness and start reviling them. I'm going to try to call Marion and bring light into Marion's life so he can talk to Betty when she's not able to talk on the phone. And, and other people, some of you have been going up, Christy and Kathy have gone up. Mary's up there now seeing Betty and some of the neighbors from another, I think the crossing, have gone up to see Betty. And all of this, these people are bringing light. And nobody is telling her exactly what God's going to do. They're just saying, Betty, Jesus loves you. And he'll meet you and give you strength right where you are. And beginning to work with that. And it's, it's because we bring the light, not just the light, hear me now, not just the light of our personality, but the light of the world when we begin to release Jesus and, and release the breath of God. And we live in that time where the Spirit of God is blowing and moving and changing and creating and doing all kinds of things. And if we make it someplace where He totally withdraws Himself, then we've missed it. I'm telling you, the Old Testament is not a history of God withdrawing from His people. It's a history of the links God will go to to draw His people back to Himself. It's, it's, it's the history of God choosing a people and saying, I I sung over you before you heard a song. I spoke to you before you were listening, knowing that it's God reaching for His own. And through us, in your everyday life, He can reach for His own. You know, David was talking about expansion. Man, I've been seeing that. David, we've been watching a trimming, knowing there's an expansion coming. Many times I've gone to God and with a little darkness on me saying, God, what is going on? Because... It seems like people just keep falling off and falling off. And he'd say, just hold steady. There's always a trembling before the harvest. And I'm not saying those were bad people. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that they weren't going to go forward with us. And God wants us to go forward. And that's the way it looks. And God our Father is in that place where His voice is speaking. He's not in some place where I'm over here. I can't feel God. I'm crying out, God. I mean, he's not there. He's over here in what He has said you are. And that's where He wants to talk with you. That's where He wants to walk with you. That's where He wants you to know. Yes, there's times of, of almost desperate seeking for an answer, but not seeking God. He's with you. We need to get our, our conversation right so that our mind can grasp it. In God's mind, all those other voices have no credibility at all. In God's mind, all that matters is what He says to you and what you say to Him and what you let flow through you out from Him. That's where He puts His power. That's where He put His glory. But if you insist on living in that other produce then you're living a lie and not practicing the truth because the truth is God saved you and He's putting you through a process to get you where you need to be and we will reign with Him if we 
suffer with him. And that's not good charismatic theology, but it seems to work in the Bible as far as I can see. <laughs> now, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, striving to hear his voice, striving to know him, striving to allow him to guide us. And when I say striving, I just mean constantly making the decision, pulling our thoughts captive, taking it out of the darkness and into the light. There's many times that the temptation for me is to look back and justify my present actions by my genetics. And you know what? My genetics changed when I came to Jesus. He is the God of genetics. And I can either let my family history drive me, or I can realize that I'm part of the family of God and let that history propel me and draw me into the kingdom. It's up to me. And it'll make a difference in the way I live and how I do that. Now, when that whole thing turns, you're seeking is about fellowship with Him. You're seeking is about learning to project Him, His will, His voice, His ways. Then that fellowship with one another becomes very rich. And I'm convinced that's why we're not seeing that many people that are, uh, that are coming out and beginning to be a part of a church body these days is because we haven't been demonstrating the light of God. We've been agreeing with the devil. Yeah, those people out there, there's no hope for that meth crowd. They're too far gone. No, they're not too far gone. They just need Jesus. They need the light of God. And God needs us to project that light. Well, what about, what about that one that, 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 that they just gossip all the time? It's not too far gone. They just need Jesus. And they, it's, it's their propensity to talk that God will use. But he'll use it in a right way. He'll start to build people with it, start to work with it, if they will just allow him to. And how are we going to get there? When they start trying to gossip badly about somebody, you turn it and say, but let me tell you what I know that God is doing in that life. Let me tell you what I see. And you begin to do that, and you know what? You will be confronting it and turning it. And folks, that's probably the greatest uh, representation of spiritual warfare we'll ever do, is to resist the spirit of darkness through releasing the spirit of light. And instead of becoming one with the clamoring voices of darkness, we will begin to become one more and more with God. I'm 35 minutes in, and I need to break this and finish it next Sunday. So I'm going to leave it there. And God, I'm asking you, Lord, help us to release those things that we have tried over and over again to rebuild and restate when you're trying to tear it down. God, talk to these people. Talk to me about who we really are in you. God, help us to be able to look in the mirror every morning. And as hard as it is at times to say, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. I'm the one that Jesus loves. And Lord, we can even, I, I think I see John joking with it a little bit as he, as he talks with, uh, with and about the other disciples. And Lord, I know that he wasn't trying to tear them down, but he was reminding himself that he's special to you. 
God, I, I want to learn how to do that personally, and I ask you that you teach these people to do that. And help us, God, to let that light then flow into the life of the world. And God, people would be changed because they let your light shine in true redemption. Help us, God. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just reminding any of you that would like to call Betty and encourage her, Marion tells me that she's usually most capable of talking on the phone between the hours of like 7 and 9 o'clock in the morning. That seems to be when she has the most strength. So if you want to call her and encourage her, give that a shot. But as I also understand it, some have been talking to her in the evening, and, and she's more than willing to try. But she's very weak. And I, I can't declare what God's going to do because I don't have that cleared. Evidently, it's not mine to have clear, but I know this. God wants to encourage her and strengthen her, and he wants to talk to her about what he's going to do, and he wants her to get out from hearing the clamor that's around her. So call her, encourage her.